Well, turning your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 23, we're continuing, of course, our study on, on the lives, really, of 1 Samuel, seeing David and Saul and Jonathan, and uh, there's a, it's a great book. We've been going verse by verse, passage by passage, and uh, that's what we do. We go what we call expository teaching, and so we're seeing these events. So we know that the Bible tells us that the things that were written in the Old Testament were written for our instruction, so we're learning and seeing things from the life of David and Saul and Jonathan, and we see really a contrast between these two first two kings. Saul is the king now. We call him the present king. He's been rejected by God as the king. He's a man after the flesh. He lives for himself. He's tried to kill David. He's tried to kill Jonathan. Uh, he's just, uh, we would say he's a fleshly man. And he's the present king, but he's been rejected by God. David is the future king. God's already anointed him to be the king. He anointed him when he was either about 14 or 15. He's going to be age 30 when he becomes king. He's now on the run from Saul. He's a man after the spirit. He's a man after God's own heart, a man of faith. And so we're seeing that contrast. And this morning, we're seeing David on the run. Saul is hatred for David and his jealousy. And it just seems that David stays one step ahead. And what we see this morning as we look at our passage is we see God's protection of David. And he's always there. God's plan is that David's going to be the king of the nation of Israel. He's been anointed. And one day, that's going to happen. Now, as we look at this section, we're going to see that David inquires of the Lord What does that mean? What does he do? And how does he get revelation from God or information from God? And I'm going to take just a few minutes in the message. We're going to talk about knowing God's will. It's just sort of a little bit different. And I just wanted to to throw that out as we get into it. We'll see it as we go through it. Well, there's a great truth. uh, And it's found in the Bible. And it's found in Hebrews 13, of course, that Jesus Christ said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. What should you fear? We don't ever have to be alone. And we never are alone. Uh, Jesus told his disciples, he said, go and make disciples. I'll be with you to the end of the age. There's a never never time when we as the children of God or ever away from God. In fact, right now, he's indwelling every believer. And then to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So we don't ever have to be afraid. We don't ever have to be alone. In fact, as we look at this passage, we're going to see over and over that God continually protects David, takes care of him. And that goes back to many of the songs we sang this morning about that God is always with us, never alone, and he's there with us. And so God has protected David, and we'll protect him all the way through. Um, when Saul was trying to kill David, we see that God continually protected him. And have you ever thought about this? It seems like everybody can find David but Saul. That The 400 men joined David. Jonathan found David. David's family found David. But Saul can't find David. And there's a reason for that, because God has protected him. And Saul will never find David, and David will be the next king. And so as Saul is trying the best he can to find David and kill him, and everybody else can find David except Saul, and we'll see it as we go through. He has anointed David as the next king, and that, that's the plan. And we're going to see God's comfort and protection for David. And, and we can say the same thing for us. We think we got, go through life, and we say, gosh, you know, we come together, and we're worshiping, and it's a great time, and we're singing, and we're, we're gathered together, and we feel safe and secure. And yet, all of a sudden, in a little bit, we're going out, and we're going out into the world. And uh, he, we're never alone. He'll never leave us or forsake us. What should we fear? Well, as we begin this morning, we're in chapter 23. David's on the run from Saul. He's in the southern part. When I say southern part of Israel, if you know, the northern part's Galilee and has the Sea of Galilee and that. And then the southern part is really Judah or Judea. And that's got the Dead Sea and Jerusalem and a little, uh, all those areas right there. And we're going to find that David at this point is in this city called Keilah. And let me just give you a little idea of the map. Of course, way up there is Galilee. This is the Dead Sea. There's a place called En Gedi, which is a famous place on the Dead Sea. There 
there's Jebus, which is the same as Jerusalem. Saul has been living up here. David is on the run. He's now at this place called Keilah. He's going to be all in this wilderness area. If you remember, there are five major cities of the Philistines. They're on the coast area, Gaza, Ashkelon, Ashdod, Ekron, and Gath. Gath is where Goliath was from. And so actually, David is right in here. If you remember, just not very long ago, David left Saul, went to the Philistines, went to the city of Gath, and when they found out David was there, David pretended he was crazy. He let spit come down all over his face, and he scratched on the wall and the door because he was afraid he was going to get caught and get killed. And the, the king of Gath, Achish, just said, get that man out of here. I don't want a crazy man around me. And so David was able to escape. So David is now in this area, and there's this little town, and the Philistines are raiding this town and, you know, and stealing stuff. And notice chapter 23, look at verse 1. It says, then they told David, saying, behold, the Philistines... Philistines are fighting against Keilah and they're plundering the threshing floor. You know, David is on the run from Saul and you would think that David would just say, hey, look, I can only worry about myself. But they come to him and they say, that little town, the Philistines are coming after it and it says they're plundering the threshing floors. That means after they thresh everything out, the Philistines come in there and steal it all and take it away. So they're basically saying, David, what are we going to do about this? So it says, so David inquired of the Lord, this is verse 2, saying, shall I go and attack the Philistines? And the Lord said to David, go and attack the Philistines and delivered Caleb. Okay, so they, he said to do it. And so how, how did he, uh, he, the Philistines are fighting against Caleb, and, and this is uh, the little town, Caleb right there. I just wanted to show that to you again. And so uh, David inquired of the Lord. And here's the question, how did David inquire of the Lord? I mean, he's, try, he's getting revelation well, how did he do that? Well, you understand that if you look at verse 6, it says when that priest was with David, he had the ephod. Now, ephod is sort of like a, like a little jacket, but the priest had this, this thing on the front of, the, of their robe, and it had little pockets. And they think there was a thing called, we know there was a thing called Urim and Thummim, and we don't know what they were. Some people think that they're like little stones or little pieces of wood or something. Somehow, God communicated with his people using the Urim and the Thummim. We don't know how he did it, and it wasn't just yes or no. It wasn't like they threw him out, and is this a yes answer or no answer, because we get answers where he'll say, go and do something. So we don't know how he inquired and how God spoke to him somehow using this, but we're going to see later on he uses the ephod to find this out. So David has his 400 men, and they decide, basically God says, go and attack the Philistines and deliver the city. So that's his plan. He's ready to go do that. But notice his men. But David's men said to him, now behold, we're afraid here in Judah. How much more if we go to Keilah and attack the ranks of the Philistines? Now they're pretty smart and they say, look, there's only 400 of us. Saul's army is after us. So we're already scared of this big army, and you're asking us to go fight the Philistines? I mean, they got a lot of people, and they're, they're attacking this one little city, and I, I think we're, I don't know if we should go. That's what the men are saying. Uh, we, don't, we probably shouldn't go. But look what happens again. So then David, verse 4, inquired of the Lord once more. Now, how he did it, we, we're assuming he used the Urim and the Thummim somehow, and the Lord answered him and said, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. Now notice, that's not a yes or no answer. It's not, should we go? Yes, that's not what it is. It's arise, go down there, I will give the Philistines into your hand. So the word of the Lord, the word from the Lord is that God will give David the victory over the Philistines. God 
promises the victory. So David is getting, getting direct revelation from God. Now, remember that the Bible, if you look at this, Moses uh, is, wrote the first five books. So when you, when you think about these people living here, they didn't have Romans or Galatians or Philippians or Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. They didn't have Hezekiah, Isaiah. They didn't have uh, Jeremiah. They didn't have some, some, most of the Psalms. David's writing them. I mean, when you start looking at all this and you say, what scripture did they have? They didn't even have First and Second Samuel. We think Samuel wrote before he died most of First Samuel before he died. So how do they get revelation from God? It's not written revelation. They just have a few books that God has already given them. So God gives them revelation. Now, let's, let's, let, you know, let, let's raise this question. How do we know God's will for our lives? Because David's saying, should I go up there or not? And God says, go. How do we know God's will for our lives? We know that David has the ephod, which is the priestly garment, which was helped to use. What do we use? How do we know what God's will for our lives is? Well, we go to the Word of God. And I wanted to show you something because when we've got the Bible and you've got specific instructions, you've got the entire Word of God, and we've got the New Testament, it'll say, stop letting sin reign in your mortal body. It'll say, study to show yourself and approve. It says, stop lying one to another. It says, pray for one another. I mean, there's all kind of commands in the Scripture for us. And we see those. So how do we know God's will? And here's something that I've taught. I've taught it at the retreats a number of times. Usually have three to four studies on this. I've taught this also in our grow group a long time ago. And so if you want more information, I'm just going to give you about a two-minute overview of what we teach and how we look at this. We talk about God's will. We see that there's threefold aspect of the will of God. There is the sovereign will of God, the specific will of God, and the general will of God. That's what we call them. The sovereign will of God is that God is working all things according to the counsel of his will. He is working everything. And so, and the truth is, God has a plan, and he's working all of humanity, all of his plan, and it's going to happen. And he doesn't necessarily tell us his sovereign will. In fact, the old saying is, if you want to know God's sovereign will, just look at yesterday, because that was the sovereign will of God. Now, he's told us some things. He said, I've gone to prepare a place for you. When I get it ready, I'll come back and get you. He says, he's going to come get us. He's told us there's going to be a tribulation. He's told us it's going to be a kingdom, going to be a new heaven, a new earth. So he's told us some things about the future and his will, but for each of us, he hasn't told you what it's going to happen to you tomorrow. And the truth is, you really don't want to know that. You know, you just don't want to know. And so the second thing, that so that's the sovereign will, and that's going to come to pass. There is the specific will of God, which is the written revelation, which is the word of God. And we have many commands, many principles, many things that you can look at the Bible and it says, don't do this or do this. And so you have the specific will of God. You can get out of the specific will of God. You cannot get out of the sovereign will of God. That's going to happen. You can get out of the specific will of God because you can disobey the scripture. Where it says study to show yourself approved and you don't study, you're out of the will of God. When it says don't lie and you lie, you're out of the specific will of God. So you can get out of God's specific will for your life. It's called sin. The third way is what I call the general will of God, and that is where you have decisions to make and you don't have biblical revelation to go to. Like, should you buy a house? Should you buy this car? Should you marry this person? Should you do that? You do not have direct revelation from God to tell you those answers. And God says when you have decisions to make that you don't have direct revelation, you have freedom. Freedom to make wise choices. The Bible talks about living wisely. 
And so when you have a decision to make and you don't have biblical revelation, you have freedom to make wise choices. And that's what we teach. And if you want a lot more information, you can uh, go to those things. Here's our goal. Our goal is to make wise decisions. And you can pray, but we don't pray for direct revelation. We pray for wisdom. That's what James says. If any man lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. We say wisdom. Show me things that maybe I should see. Show me something from the scripture. Help me to make application of what I know. Maybe I could seek wise counsel. Maybe I could look at the circumstances. So we have great freedom. And I know this is a little different than a lot of people teach. A lot of people think that if you got to make a decision, God's going to somehow give you direct revelation and you're going to find that out. I don't see that in the scripture. In fact, I see that it gives you great freedom to make wise choices. And so we'll see that. So when we talk about the will of God, there is the sovereign will of God that will come to pass. There is the specific will of God, which is to be obeyed. And there is the general will of God in which we're to make wise choices. Most of the decisions you make in the general will, they are not right and wrong decisions. It's not a right and wrong issue. That's why you don't have biblical revelation about it, and that's why you can make wise choices. Well, anyway, if you want more information, you can go to the website, and it's under retreats on knowing the will of God. It's also, I think, under the grow groups, and if not, just go to the topical things and find will of God, and you can find two or three lessons on that. That's just a lot more information. So what does David do? He inquires the Lord. God gives him direct revelation. And he says, go down to Keilah. I will give the Philistines into your hands. So look at verse 5. So David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines. And he led away their livestock and struck them down with a great slaughter. Thus, David delivered the inhabitants of Keilah. It was a great slaughter. And, and we knew it was going to be, because God has already said that was going to happen. And we see what God is doing. God is in control, and God is directing and protecting David. Now, let me stop for a minute and let you know that this little town has a wall around it. Some towns didn't. There were some towns that just were like communities and little country places. And then there were towns that actually had walls around them that were more protected. This town, Keilah, has a wall around it. And we'll find out in just a minute why, what's going on and how that has information. But the writer, most likely Samuel, goes ahead and tells us some information in verse 6. He says, it came about that when Abathar, the son of Ahimelech, fled to David at Keilah, that he came down with the ephod in his hand. He wanted us to understand how has David been getting this revelation. He's been getting it from the ephod, and that's how he's did this. Now, watch what happens. Now, let's talk for a second. If you're the people from Keilah, how do you feel about David? You go, wow, he saved our lives. I mean, the Philistines were coming and stealing our stuff and fighting us and everything else. And then David comes with these 400 men and just wipes them out and runs them off and gets our stuff back. We love David. Well, that's what we think, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you say, we love David? Yeah, that's what you would. So what's going to happen? Look what it says, verse 7. When it was told Saul that David had come to Keilah, Saul said, God has delivered him into my hand. For he shut himself up by entering a city with double gates and bars. It's got walls around the city. So Saul summoned all the people for war to go down to Keilah to besiege David and his men. Now Saul found out that David was in that town with his men. And Saul says, get the army. We're going to get David. That's the plan. He's going to go kill David. And realize, I want you to realize something, that Saul thinks that he can capture David. Now, we already realize that he can't capture David. Saul has already been rejected by God as the king. David has already been anointed by God as the king. It just hadn't happened yet. It's going to be some years. David's going to be on the run. But Saul will never be able to catch David. 
because God is protecting him. And God says to me and you that you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid of anything. I'll never leave you or forsake you. What should you fear? He is always with us. Saul thinks that he can capture David. Let me tell you, if you came to Saul and you said, Saul, tell me the truth. You think David's going to be the next king? Saul would say, yes, he will. He knows. He knows. Why is Saul rejected as king? Because he didn't trust God and he didn't obey God. And I want you to notice God's protection. This is what this chapter is called. In fact, the, the title of our message this morning was God Protects David. Watch what happens. Look at verse 9. Now David knew that Saul was plotting evil against him, so he said to Abraham the priest, bring the ephod here, bring it here. And then David said, O Lord God of Israel, your servant has heard for certain that Saul is seeking to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. Now David is praying to God and saying, here's what I, I hear, Saul's coming. Now David is not saying, I hear Saul's coming to get me. He's saying, I hear Saul's coming to destroy this town because he knows that Saul will not just come get David. Saul will come and destroy that whole town. If you remember not too long ago, it was just a couple of chapters back, that Saul had that man named Doeg kill 85 priests, go into the town of Nob, which was their hometown, and kill every family in there, every child, every infant, every man, every woman, and all of their livestock. Saul is an evil man. And Saul is not just going to come to Keilah and get David. He's going to come destroy the whole city. And David knows that. So David uh, said, uh, bring the ephod here. O Lord, I hear that Saul is coming. And so David is going to ask God two questions. And God's going to answer them in the opposite order. David asked question number one and then question number two. And God answers by answering question number two and then question number one. Let's look at the questions. Look at verse 11. Will the men of Keilah surrender me into their hand? Will Saul come down just as your servant has heard? So he asked two questions. Will they deliver me to Saul? Will the people in this town deliver me to Saul? Because what Saul's going to do is come to the town, line up around it, say to the people of Keilah, do you all want to die? I'll kill every one of you in there so I can kill David. Or you can hand me David and I won't kill all of y'all. That's his plan. And so he asks, will they deliver me to Saul? When Saul comes, will they deliver me? And the second question is, will actually Saul come just as I've heard? Well, God answers it in, a, in backwards order. In other words, he answers question two first and then question one second. Look what he says, uh, verse 11 again. Will the men of Keilah surrender me into the hand? That's the question. Will Saul come down just as your servant has heard? O Lord, God of Israel, I pray, tell your servant. So God answers. Look at the first answer. And the Lord said, he will come down. He answered the second question first. Yeah, he's coming. He's coming. But what's the second question? Will they hand me over? And he says, and David said, will the men of Keilah surrender me and, and, and my men in the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, they will surrender you. If you're David, you go, I just saved these people's lives. I just came up here and stopped the Philistines from killing them and stealing all their stuff. And I ran the Philistines off and my men have protected them. And when Saul comes, they're going to turn me over. Now, how do you feel about that? I thought they went, we love David. No, they don't. You know why? You know what they love more? 
They loved themselves more because they said, if we don't turn David over, he'll kill us. We already know what he did to Nob. We know what kind of man Saul is. Saul went and destroyed one whole city. He'll destroy all of us. So God says, if you stay down there and Saul comes, they'll turn you over to Saul and he will kill you. So what would you do if you were David? I'd leave. Wouldn't you leave? So look what happens. David says, well, the men of Keilah surrender me and my men. And the Lord said, they will surrender. And then David and his men, about 600, arose and departed from Keilah. And they went wherever they could go. And when it was told Saul that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up the pursuit. So David left. And, and that, did you notice something? I, I want you to notice something. If I can get this. To, there it is. David's army has gone from 400 men to what now? 600 men. See, people all know that David is a great one. David is a great leader. They all do not trust Saul. They all know that Saul is evil and that Saul is killing people. And so a lot of men are saying, I'd rather, if it comes push to shove, I'd rather be with David than Saul. And so there are many, now he's up to 600 men. Now remember I told you that these are called the mighty men? We talked about this several weeks ago, that uh, there's going to be a list later on of David's mighty men. And he has what he calls the three. And there are three men that he lists, and he says, they're the three. And then he lists 30. 30 other men, which are called the mighty men. And so there are really 33 of David's 600 men that he calls the mighty men. And they're great warriors and they're great fighters and they love David and they stand strong. And so uh, they're with him now. And so he's told, if you don't get out of here, you know, they're going to get you. So David left. And when Saul found David had gone, he didn't go down there. Have you realized that God told David what would happen, but that's not what happened? Because he said, if you stay here, they'll turn you over and Saul will kill you. You know, people come up with those hypothetical questions all the time. They say, well, what if, what if Adam and Eve hadn't sinned? But, but they did. What, what if Jesus hadn't died on the cross? But he did. What if Saul would have come down there and David would have stayed? What would have happened? They'd have killed him. But they didn't. David left. David got the word from the Lord. Well, Let's see what happens. Look at verse 14. So David stayed in the wilderness in the strongholds and remained in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day. Now, I want you to read that carefully. Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. Every day, Saul's trying to find David, and he can never find him because God won't let him. He stays in the wilderness of Ziph. i put this up again. Here's Ziph. Here's that little town. Maon, we're going to come back to it. There's En Gedi. There's Masada. There's Hebron, Bethlehem, Jebus, Jerusalem. And Saul has been in this area, but he keeps coming down trying to find David. That's his plan, to kill David. I like it this way. Everybody can find David but Saul. Have you thought about that? Everybody can find David who needs him except Saul. Jonathan can find him. In fact, Jonathan finds him three different times. The priests find him. The fa his family finds him. 600 men find him, but not Saul. Why? Because the verse says, God did not deliver him into his hand. Now, verse 15, we're going to see something else as we go a little further along. It says, now, now David became aware that Saul had come to seek his life while David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horash. So David is at this little place, and it says, And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David at Horash and encouraged him there. Now, did you notice that Jonathan can find him? 
Jonathan found him. Why can't Saul find him? Because God won't let Saul find him. God protects me and you as well. God is our strength and our shield. He is for us. And if he is for us, who can be what? Against us, nobody. David knows that God is protecting him. So Jonathan shows up. We love Jonathan. Jonathan is one of the greatest men in the Bible. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David at Horesh and encouraged him in God. He encouraged him. Now, let me tell you what this word encourage means. The word encourage actually means to get strength. Jonathan came down there and said, David, I love you, man. I know you're running. Don't worry. God's protecting you. Uh, God's with you. And let me tell you something. We all need people like that. You need people in your lives. Men, we need other men to encourage us. Women, we need other women to encourage us. We need those kindred spirits, those people who will come in there and encourage us. Every one of the men need a Jonathan. We need each other. And we can see that Jonathan comes in the middle and finds him, of course, and encourages him. And I think one of the great sees is in Galatians where it says, bear one another burden. Every one of you in this room, you got burdens right now. If you're honest about it, and if you'd come up here and say it, and say, tell me what's going on in your life. What is bothering you? What's happening? And every one of us in this room would say, well, I have a friend that this is happening, or I have my mother is this, or I have this happening to me, or I have my uncle this, or I have this at my job. Or every one of us have things that are happening in our lives. We need someone to help us bear the burden. That's why God put us together. That's why he puts us in the body of Christ. That's why we're all in this thing together. David has Jonathan, and Jonathan comes to him. Now, I want you to see what Jonathan says in verse 17. It's very powerful. He said to him, Do not be afraid, because the hand of Saul, my father, will not find you. You will be king over Israel. I'll be next to you. And Saul, my father, knows that also. Look at the four things that Jonathan tells David. He says, Saul's not going to kill you. He can't, he can't kill him because God's protecting him. Second, he says, you're going to be the king. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows David's going to be the next king. Look at the third one. Jonathan says, and I'll be next to you. He says, I'm a faithful friend, and when you're the king, I will serve you. You know what's sad about this? That's the only one that doesn't come true because Jonathan gets killed in a battle, and he doesn't get to serve with David. And look at the fourth one. Saul knows this. He knows that David will be the next king. Powerful. And then they made their covenant again. Look. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. And David stayed at Horish while Jonathan went to his house. They made that covenant. You know that covenant was that David would say, something happens to me, you take care of my family. And Jonathan says, something happens to me, you take care of my family. And that's what they're going to do. They're faithful to each other. Faithful believers, we encourage and sharpen one another. We all need each other. There's no such thing as Lone Ranger Christian. A lot of people say, I just do my own thing. You don't do your own thing. You don't have your own thing. You have the body thing. You have your gifts, difference, and talents, difference, uh, difference, talents, abilities, and gifts, and all that, and so you're unique and special that way. But God says we all work together, one body, many members. You don't do your own thing. We do our own thing that God has for us. Fellow believers sharpen each other. Well, look what happens. 
look at the Ziphites. You know, you, you, you have to think about the Ziphites. Uh, it, they come to Saul. Look at verse 19. I'm, I'll go quickly through this. The Ziphites came up to Saul at Gibeah saying, Is David not hiding with us in the stronghold at Horish on the hill of Makilah, which is on the south side of Jeshimon? Now then, O king, come down according to all the desire of your soul to do. In our part, we will surrender him into the king's hand. What? David is around these people called the Ziphites. And the Ziphites actually send some of their leaders up to Saul and say, David's down here with us. If you'll send your army down, we will turn him over to you. And you could say, well, great friends y'all are. They're not good friends. And let me tell you what they think. They just say, why would they do that? They're scared. Because what if they don't turn David over? He feel, they feel like Saul's going to come down there and destroy them. Saul's going to send the army down there and kill them all. And so they're afraid. And sometimes when we're afraid, we'll do things that we shouldn't do. And these people are saying, Saul, if you'll come down, we'll turn David over and we'll give him to you. Well, look what Saul says in verse 21. Saul said, may you be blessed to the Lord for you've shown compassion on me. He said, you f- finally somebody feels sorry for me. He says, go now, make sure and investigate and see his place where the haunt is and who has seen him there. For I'm told that he's very cunning. So look and learn all about the hiding places where he hides himself and return to me with certainty, and then I will go with you. And if he's in the land, I will search him out among all the thousands of Judah. Now, Saul's pretty smart. He says, listen, everywhere I go, he's not there. I was going to go to Keilah, he wasn't there. I was going to go someplace else, he wasn't there. Now you tell me he's down there. Well, I'll come, but make sure you know he's down there and because he's cunning and he's tricky, and so I'm not coming down there until you can tell me we know where he is. And you can get him for me, and I'll come down there. So go ahead, and then I'll come down, and, and we'll get him. That's the plan. And so Saul really says, uh, make sure you know where he is before I come down there. You know, the truth is, it doesn't matter. He's never going to get him. He's never going to get him. God's going to take care of David. Well, look what happens in verse 24. They went back. They arose and went to Ziph before Saul. And David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon in the Arabah. Now, Arabah means to the south. That means the south, to the south of Jeshubah. So they're in the south part. David's now in the south part. It's a desert area. And look where he is now. He's now in the wilderness of Ziph and Mahon. He's wilderness. He's in this area. There's En Gedi, uh, kind of a famous city. That's where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls, right outside of En Gedi. And then there's Hebron, famous Akilah. So David is now down in here. Saul is up in here. Saul says, if you can trap him down here, we'll come down and get him. We'll come down and get him. So David is hiding. David's going to the rock area. And that, that's what he's doing. So it says, uh, they arose uh, and went to Ziph before Saul. David and his men were in the wilderness. And then verse 25, when Saul and his men went to seek him, they told David, and he came down to the rock, and he stayed in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard it, he pursued David in the wilderness of Maon. Now here's the wilderness of Maon. So David's left this area, and he's gone down here, and it's a rocky area. It's a uh, Saul was, uh, David was told Saul's coming. He went to a rock area, and Saul is coming after David. And there's a, here's supposedly the picture of King Saul coming on his horse and his soldiers, and in this big area, this sort of like a, like a big rocky hill, sort of like a mountain, not real high mountain, but a, a rocky area, and David's hiding that area, and Saul comes down there. And you know, let's say this. It's not looking very good for David. If we didn't know that God is protecting David... We might think, uh uh-oh, Saul may have caught him. So look what happens. 
Saul was on one side. This is verse 26. So Saul was on one side of the mountain, and David and his men were on the other side of the mountain, and David was hurrying to get away from Saul, for Saul and his men were surrounding David and his men to seize them. Now we're in trouble. David's on the side of that hill. He's got his men with him, his 600 men, and Saul is coming around one side, and Saul is coming around the other side, and David is trapped. And we could stop and say, ooh, this is bad. What's going to happen? Now, we already know that God has already said God did not deliver him into his hand. And we already know that he's going to protect David because David's going to be the next king. What in the world is going to happen? Look at verse 27. But a messenger came to Saul saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid on the land. So Saul returned from pursuing David and went to meet the Philistines. Therefore, they call that place the Rock of Escape. Right in the middle of Saul just about to get David, the Philistines attack. And they come to Saul and say, look, the Philistines are attacking. You can't be out here. we got to protect the people. And so Saul has to take his army and go back and fight the Philistines. And David escapes again. And what did he call this place? He called it the Rock of Escape. Whoops. Let me get it better. Called the Rock of Escape of escape, because that's where he escaped. God protected him again. And then notice it goes on to say, and from there, David went up from there and stayed in the strongholds of En Gedi. Now, I've been to En Gedi. Uh, I've been to Israel. It's been a long time ago. En Gedi is really, it's like a, a town. It's a beautiful place, but it's, it's mountainous. It's rocks. It's caves. It's everything. This is where a shepherd boy in 1947 threw a rock up in one of those caves because he thought one of his goats or one of his sheep was up in there. And this Bedouin boy threw a rock up in there and he heard something break. And he crawled up into one of those caves and he found these giant uh, big jars and they were filled with it's manuscripts, and he didn't know what they were. And he pulled one out, took it to his father. His father took it in into town, and somebody who knew what it was said, "This is scripture. This is copies of the Hebrew Bible." And of course, they later came back and found what we call the Dead Sea Scrolls, which was every was a copy of every book in the Bible except uh, Esther. That was the only one that wasn't found in that, and it predated everything by a thousand years. So it's pretty incredible. But this is where David is staying now. He's staying in in Gedi. And let me let me just read something for you. you I, I'm going to turn, and I don't want you to turn there, but in Psalm 54, David wrote this psalm when he was running from Saul, when the Ziphites tried to turn him over. Listen to this. This is Psalm 54. In all the Psalms, in most of the Psalms, there's a little heading that's actually in the Hebrew Scripture. Some Hebrew Bibles actually begin with that as verse 1. Here's what this one says. It's for the choir director on a stringed instrument, a masculine of David, that's a type of song, when the Ziphites came and said to Saul... Is not David hiding himself among us? This is the song that David wrote when the Ziphites wanted to turn him over to Saul. I want to show you this. It's got three parts. I just want you to listen to it because I want you to think about this. What are you going to do the next time there's a problem? When things are not going your way, when issues arise, look what he did. He prayed to God, he trusted God, he gave thanks. Listen to this, this is his prayer. 
Save me, O God, by your name and vindicate me by your power. Hear my prayer, O God. Give ears to the word of my mouth for strangers have risen against me. Violent men have sought my life. They have not set God before them. He's talking about the Ziphites. Then it says he trusts God. Listen to what he says. Behold, God is my helper. The Lord is my sustainer of my soul. He will recompense the evil to my foes and he will destroy them in your faithfulness. And then finally, he gives thanks to God. Willingly, I will sacrifice to you. I will give thanks to your name, O Lord, for you are good, for you have delivered me from all my trouble and my eyes have looked with satisfaction upon my enemies. When David was in a bad place and he wrote this song, he cried out to God, he trusted God, and he gave thanks. When you're in a bad place, pray. Tell God what's going on. Be anxious for nothing but everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your request be made known to God. Tell him everything that's going on in your life and then trust him. He is the strength and he's the shield and then give him thanks and praise his name because he's going to take care of you. Let me give you some applications and we'll close. First is God is our strength and our protection. Do you understand that? We see it in the life of David, and we see it in our own lives. He'll never leave us or forsake us. What should we fear? He is always there. And so when we go out these doors, we don't have to be afraid. It's easy not to be afraid in here because we got all our friends and our fellowship and the Bible and Jesus and songs and everything else. We walk out those doors, we get afraid. So what do we do? We realize that God is in control. We got to trust him and trust God, not people. People will let you down. We saw it already in this passage. But what do we do? Whoops, it went too fast. Hold on, there we go. We cry out in prayer, we trust him, and we praise him. Just remember that. Second, let's spend time in God's word so we can know God's will. Now that's something that I just hit on because David was getting God's will, and sometimes people come up and say, how can I know God's will for my life? The bottom line is the word of God. Romans 12, 2 says, renew our minds. When we renew our minds, which means put God's word in our mind, we will know what the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God is. God's will is found in God's word, and that's how we do it, and that's how we know it. But remember this, that he is in control. He has a sovereign will that's going to happen. He gives us his word. That's a specific revelation. We are to obey him. And third, he gives us great freedom. That's called the general will to make wise choices. I pray that all of us will make wise choices. Last but not least is let's build relationships with others. Remember that David had Jonathan. Who do you have? Who are you close to? For you guys, who's your other guy? Who's a couple of guys that you can turn to no matter what? Women, who are some other women? Who are the people that you can turn to? You know, the Bible says iron sharpens iron. We need, we all of us need someone to encourage us, to hold us accountable, and to help us grow. So may we rest in God's protection, knowing him and his word, so we can know his will.